0: Well, Father, we thank you for your presence here by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the light of Jesus Christ shining in this place. And we ask now you give us ears to hear what you have to say today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, one of the pillars of our life together here at Truro as a church is our commitment to and our submission to the teaching of the Word of God. This has been true about this church for generations now, praise God, and it's still true today. We are shaped by and led by and fed by, nourished, spoken to by the word of God. And one of the approaches we take here, and this will usually be our approach on Sundays, is to walk through whole books of the Bible, verse by verse, section by section, thought by thought, Uh, Many of you have heard of or experienced the phenomenon that's called binge watching, where you start a show at episode one, season one, and maybe on a weekend, or if you're sick or you're just really not self-disciplined, you can power through a whole show, several seasons in one weekend. You, you stick with it, and if you were to start with episode one, season one, and then skip to season nine, episode 14, and then back to season seven, episode three, you'd be totally confused what's happening. Same for you readers, you voracious readers I can finish a novel in one day. You start with chapter one, and you move to chapter two, and, and so on. You stay in the flow of the story. And that's why, for the bulk of what I'll call our preaching diet here, As a church, that's what we are going to do. We follow the practice of starting with chapter one and progressing through its verses, going to chapter two. We do this so we can just be saturated in the word of God and the train of thought of the authors of scripture who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, another reason why we don't jump around in books of the Bible or skip over sections is because it keeps your preachers... (laughs) me included, Stephen, Mike, the others, from skipping over difficult topics or skipping over difficult passages, perhaps like today's passage, which actually talks about preachers. A little uncomfortable, but it's good. We teach what the Bible says to teach. Another reason why we do this is so that your preachers don't just keep preaching their own particular hobby horses all the time. We read through the Bible, We preach through the Bible. We simply ask ourselves, what does it say? Not, what do I wish it said? Um, Not, what do I want to say today? But what does the Bible say? So, so far, we've been studying this book of Philippians verse by verse, and we've seen it has a lot to say to the church about being a church built upon the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're sustained by him. We're held together in him. We exist for him. Last week, if you were here or listened online, Paul's letter to the Philippians had a lot to say to the church about being a church in which God is working salvation inside out. It's working in us. He's working in us, making us a a new people, a new kind of people by His power, not our power. But now, today, it's interesting. As we continue in the flow of this book, as we get to the next episode in the series, so to speak. We're asking again, well, what does it say? And as we turn to it this morning, we see God's word today has something to say to the church about the kinds of leaders God desires for his church. We're in the second chapter of Philippians, looking at verses 19 through 30, and our text this morning calls us to reflect on the kinds of leaders that God does and does not desire for his church. I've been reflecting on this text all week, and this past Thursday I was remembering uh, those moments in college classes where you get to the end of the class, last day of the lecture, and something quite interesting happens for a few minutes. The professor finishes his or her lecture, and they hand out a sheet of paper that's called a teacher evaluation. You You ever been in one of those classes? It's a fantastic moment where the tables are turned and the one who's been evaluating us all semester and the one who will soon be evaluating our final exams and our papers actually gets evaluated. This morning feels a little bit like that. <laughs> About a year ago, I was talking with Dr. Michael Kruger, who is the president of Reformed Theological Seminaries Campus in Charlotte. And over the course of our conversation, he mentioned he was writing a book for the church on leadership in the church. I was interested And then he said he's writing a book on the problem of bad leadership in the church, specifically the epidemic of spiritual abuse in the church. I haven't read the whole book yet, um, but here's part of what he writes in the introduction. He writes, let me state the problem simply. Some of the leaders we are producing, and if we're honest, some of the leaders we are wanting have characteristics that are either absent from or completely opposed to the list of leadership characteristics laid out in scripture. We have tolerated and even celebrated precisely the kinds of leaders Jesus warned us against. Quoting Jesus from Mark 10, Jesus said, rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, but it shall not be so among you. Kruger continues, such leaders embody the essence of spiritual abuse. They are domineering, authoritarian, and heavy handed in the way they rule those under their care. Indeed, Jesus spent a remarkable amount of time warning God's people against such leaders, something the modern church would do well to remember. So today, God in his word provides the church with a kind of teacher evaluation. He's writing the church in Philippi. He tells them about two different people. He wants to send to them Timothy in verses 19 through 24. Epaphroditus in verses 25 through 30. And Epaphroditus is the one he does send to them with this letter in his hand. It's why we have it today, thanks to Epaphroditus carrying it to the church in Philippi. In these verses, Paul conveys information to them. It's information that on one level, I suppose we in Fairfax don't need to know. That's interesting, historically, to know he wanted to send Timothy and he sent Epaphroditus. But there's something much more important in these verses than just historical information about who was sending who where. In these verses, Paul conveys God's heart. This is God's heart for his precious lambs. This is God's heart for his precious sons and daughters to be cared for, to be loved and well served by pastors who will reflect his heart for his church. I'll state it this way and then we'll unpack this statement as we look at these verses today. For God so loves the church that he calls pastors who will love his church so that they will experience the love of his son. So first, for God so loves the church. Of course, we know that God loves the church. I'm not saying anything new or earth-shattering to you. We know God loves the church. We have to start here. God's love shown to the church in Jesus because Paul holds up, he does, he does. Paul holds up the example of Jesus as the standard by which leaders in the church are measured. Specifically in our text today, these men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, their usefulness to the church, their usefulness for the church, directly corresponds to how they measure up in a sense to not simply being good guys, not simply having a resume or being a minister of the gospel in training or in word, but in heart and in action. Jesus is the grading scale, so to speak, for pastors in the teacher evaluation that's here in verses 19 through 30. Paul wants us, God wants us, to not only look at the love of God for his church as shown in Christ on the cross, he wants us to look at it. He also wants us to look through it. It's it's his lens for us as we look at our leaders. Let me take us back then just a few minutes to uh, the beginning of chapter two of Philippians. We were here a few weeks ago. Here's how Paul highlighted the love of God for his church in Christ. Because Paul wants us to look at it and look through it. Chapter two, verses five through eight. Have this mind among yourselves. See, it's a lens. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. There's the example. But emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God's principal display of love is the cross. You wanna know what love looks like? Look at the cross. You wanna know how much God loves you? Look at the cross. You wanna know how much God loves the church? Look at the cross. And you wanna know the way in which God loves the church and the way in which leaders ought to love the church, look at the cross. For God so loves the church, now second part of that statement, that he calls pastors who will love his church. And that's where we pick up this morning in verse 19, talking about Timothy. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all, They all, meaning another group of leaders in the church who Paul couldn't rely on, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So there's a lesson just in these verses for pastors and for congregations. And it teaches us this principle, that what matters most to God about the leaders in his church is whether or not they have his heart for his people. They're his people. They're his precious lambs. What does Paul commend here about Timothy in verses 20 and 21? It's not his resume. It's not his accomplishments. It's not his impressive social media following. What Paul commends is his heart. Quote, he will be genuinely concerned for your welfare and he doesn't seek his own interests but the interests of Jesus Christ. This is is my charge as a pastor and Stephen's and Mike's and Abigail's to love you and to seek for your good and for this congregation's good and for our own good, not our own interests, but the interests of Jesus Christ's. And I'm saying this to you because the Bible says it to me and the Bible says it to you. And so this should be your expectation. And this should be your prayer for us. Look with me at the next verse. It's really important what Paul says and how he says it. Verse 22, you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, don't miss this next part. He has served with me in the gospel. With me in the gospel. Notice how Paul doesn't phrase that, okay? Paul doesn't say, you know Timothy's proven worth, how he has served me. Or, you know Timothy's proven worth, how he's been loyal to me. He stuck with me when all the other ones fell away. He says, no, he has served with me in the gospel, If you've got Philippians open in front of you, just look back to the first verse of the first chapter, chapter one. How does Paul identify himself, Paul and Timothy? They say they're servants of who? Of Christ Jesus. Timothy wasn't Paul's servant. Timothy was Paul's partner. Together they were servants of Christ Jesus. What mattered most was not that Timothy was loyal to Paul, but that Timothy was loyal to the gospel. For God so loves the church that he calls pastors who will love his church. And the scripture is saying they can't love the church if they're concerned with their own self-interests or if they're impressed with their own resumes or just blindly loyal to one another as if it's some kind of cloistered fraternity. God's heart for us, for his lambs, is that we would be shepherded by shepherds, not just by professionals and not by bullies. And this is an important lesson, and it's a hard lesson for the church to learn because sometimes we like, sometimes we like having a bully around. On that note, here's Michael Kruger one more time. He writes, It's not that different from the person who decides to buy a pit bull as a family pet. It may be cool to have a tough dog, and it may protect you from burglars, but eventually it may maul a member of your own family. It's kind of a tongue-in-cheek way to put it, for sure, but for many of you here, and even more so for many who aren't here, you have been mauled by pit bulls wearing clergy collars. And if that's your story, that's your experience, then as a pastor and as someone in this position, I want to say from the bottom of my heart how sorry I am. That's wrong. That's ungodly, and on their behalf, I repent. For God so loves the church that he calls pastors who will love his church. That's what he wants, and he wants it, lastly, so they will experience the love of his son. For about 10 years, uh, almost exactly 10 years, from the time I was 20, to when I was 30, I had the privilege of serving at the Falls Church Anglican under John Gates, who was their rector for 40 years. And by the way, he'll be preaching here at the end of March, so you'll get to meet him and hear from him. But a story uh, about John always stands out to me when I think of pastoring. And it's a story of a, of a woman in the church who had lost her husband of many, many decades. And she was grieving his loss It had only been a week or so since he had died, and John and Susan came over to their house for dinner. And the woman noticed, after a while, John was uh, just doing random chores around the house, emptying the trash, uh, dishes, things like that. And after a few more minutes, John came to her and asked quietly, what else can I do for you that your husband would be doing if he was here right now? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, Paul wrote. Uh, By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and so we ought to lay down our lives for one another, John wrote. If you love me, tend my lambs. Feed my lambs, Jesus said. So Paul is communicating that heart of God here for his church. Through their leaders, through their pastors, they would experience that tending, and that feeding, that love of Jesus. That's why he wants to send Timothy to them, and now we read that's why he is sending Epaphroditus to them. By the way, there's a good boy name that some parents might want to consider. (laughs) I think we could use a few little Epaphrodituses running around here. Just Just a little thought, love to baptize a little Epaphroditus next year, we'll see. Paul is sending Epaphroditus back to them with this letter in his hands, because he can't think of anyone else better to love them. Look at how Epaphroditus is described in verse 25 as a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, a messenger, and a minister, and then catch what verse 26 points out about Epaphroditus. He has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. The longing that Epaphroditus has in his heart is a loving longing, and the distress That word distress there that Epaphroditus has in his heart isn't a distress because he's been sick. It's a distress because he's heard the church in Philippi has been distressed. And it's the same word used for distress that is used in Mark 14, 33, when Jesus is distressed in the garden of Gethsemane. Epaphroditus couldn't care less about a title, about a salary, about a position. He cares about God's people. He loves them, he longs for them, and he's distressed for them with the same distress that we see in the heart of Jesus. And I think it's interesting that if you look closely at verse 27, you'll see something else about him. It's easy to miss it, so I want to point it out, which is that he had a testimony. He had been sick, almost dead. His situation was dire. And then look at these words halfway through verse 27, but God, but God had mercy on him. Epaphroditus wasn't just the carrier of a letter from Paul. He was the carrier of a testimony of the good news of a God who had saved him. Testimony of a God who saves. He didn't arrive just with a scroll in his hand, with praise in his heart. And there's one more aspect of Epaphroditus that reflects to the church the heart of Jesus. We see it in our last verse, verse 30, that he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Paul isn't criticizing Philippi there. He's just saying that he was separated from them and Epaphroditus had made up for it by coming to visit him in prison. He nearly died for the work of life, that work of Christ, risking his life. This is the central theme. It's the central theme of our text today, this next section in God's word that for God so loves the church that he calls pastors who will love his church so that they will experience the love of his son. Now, one last thing, very, very briefly as we close, as we consider what God has said to us today in his word, the kind of leaders he desires and does not desire for his church, and it's this. In these texts, in in these verses, there is a glue that holds it all together, and it really matters. There's a glue that holds this teacher evaluation form together. It's for pastors who long to point to Jesus and who get it wrong and who fall short and who trip up and make mistakes. The glue is for congregations who, who need shepherding, who need loving, who need feeding and tending. We all need this glue because we all get it wrong and we're all prone to hurt each other. This glue is the phrase occurring three times in these verses, in the Lord. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord. It's not just a throwaway line, not some Southern kind of, you know, Lord willing in the creek don't rise. It's not what he's saying here. I hope in the Lord. Verse 24, I trust in the Lord. Verse 29, how do you receive Epaphroditus? Receive him in the Lord. Everything in our life together is dependent on Christ. Everything about me, my pastoring, everything about you, your congregationing, everything depends on Jesus, in the Lord. God so loves the church, that even as pastors in congregations like us, try to get it right. We try. We sometimes do. We sometimes get it wrong. We sometimes bless each other. And we sometimes hurt each other. He gives us Christ. He gives us His Son. He gives us the gospel. So we hope in the Lord. It's not a throwaway line. We hope in the Lord. We trust in the Lord. We receive one another in the Lord. That's the glue. That's the foundation. Because only Jesus' love is perfect. And only Jesus' shepherding is always constant. And only Jesus laid down his life for us. So we come now to the end of chapter two. So let's pray together, and I'd love for us to pray in the form of this uh, wonderful hymn by Charles Wesley, Love Divine, All Love's Excelling. Let's pray together, let's stand as Zach leads us and sing this prayer together.